0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host,
1: Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Wow, the rain just keeps falling. Millions under flash flood watches and warnings. A lot of fields unplanted. Some fields that are planted now underwater and concern about the those so it's going to be a stressful time here for a while yet as we uh, wait for the weather to clear and see what uh, happens after that so uh, be careful we know there's a lot of transportation problems out there as well with the floodwaters and uh, just uh, severe storms in parts of the country as well a lot just a lot of issues to deal with from the weather right now plus a lot of other issues going on as well we're going to talk about them today we're going to talk about infrastructure. Uh, We now have a number they're talking about as far as the amount of money they plan on spending, but we don't know how they're going to come up with it yet or how it'll be used. We'll talk about that with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. The trade issues are still huge issues. And are we getting closer or not to something with China, something with uh, Japan, getting things worked out? We're going to talk about it with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. A press event held yesterday in Washington, D.C. to put the uh, focus back on getting a tax extenders package. This is especially uh, critical for the biodiesel industry. We'll talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen, a little bit later on and get an update on where we stand with that tax extenders package. But first, we're going to start things off today with a focus on the dairy industry. There was a House Ag Subcommittee hearing this week looking at the uh, the challenges of the dairy industry right now. And joining us is the Vice President of Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation, Paul Bleiberg. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about that hearing. I know a lot of folks uh, t- uh, spoke uh, at the hearing and addressed a lot of different areas that are very... Uh, important to the dairy industry right now uh kind of what was your takeaway from that and the fact that the hearing was even held and uh hopefully that we're getting the attention of people uh in the federal government as we await some uh uh, hopefully a very uh, helpful program as part of the farm bill from usda coming up
2: well thanks mike for having me on again and uh, we thought it was a very productive hearing. We had a statement out on it the other day after, uh, after the hearing had concluded. As you noted, there were a wide range of witnesses there that spoke very eloquently about a number of the big issues that we were facing. Uh, you know, Sadie Ferrick, a Minnesota dairy producer, did a fantastic job not just speaking about her personal family struggles as a dairy producer and others, but highlighting the importance of the dairy margin coverage program and the new you know the benefits that that's going to provide and uh, you know Chairman Colin Peterson of the full Act committee attended the hearing and I uh, say he's a constituent of his and, and he asked a very good question as far as you know what's your plan for enrollment in the DMC And I think she hit the nail on the head when she said she would go to that 950 coverage level on that tier one coverage and do that for the five years and take the 75 percent credit on the refund and you know when I was on a couple of weeks ago we spoke about the importance of knowing, that this program for the 2019 year, given that the payments are retroactive to January 1, and we already know the payments for January and February, if you sign up for this year at that 9.50 level on your Tier 1, you're already going to come out ahead for the entire year. The the payouts for just those two months are going to eclipse the entire year's premium cost. I think Chairman Peterson's question was excellent in getting across the point that we already know there's some very good benefits to the program, but it really is a no-brainer as far as Going to that 950 coverage level. I think we also had some great discussion at the hearing about immigration. Uh, I happen to be from upstate New York. There was a dairy farmer, uh, Mike McMahon, from my own congressional district there speaking. Uh, you know, my congressman is a, a freshman member named Anthony Brindisi, who's a very active and helpful member on the subcommittee. And he had great engagement with Mike McMahon on dairy's labor issues, which, of course, as you know, focus on getting a, a guest worker program that actually works for dairy for year round agriculture. And uh, providing uh, you know legal status for the current workers that we already have in this country, we had Andre Mikolevsky, the CEO of California Dairies, who laid out the, the primary trade issues, not just the challenges around the Section 30, the 232 tariffs, but also the importance of adopting the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement. And uh, Subcommittee Chairman Jim Costa not only did a fantastic job presiding over the entire hearing, but obviously he's from California. He and some of the other California members spoke quite a bit with Andre on the trade issues. Uh, we had Dr. Scott Brown, uh, you know, did the economic analysis before the committee, as he's done many times in the past. He did a good job doing that. And from Pennsylvania, we had dairy farmer Dave Smith, who's the head of the Pennsylvania Dairymen's Association. And, uh, you know, he spoke about kind of the whole range of issues I just mentioned, but he also touched on school nutrition and our goals around getting more milk in schools. And uh, Congressman G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania is a senior member of the Ag Committee and also of the Education and Labor Committee in the House, which covers those issues that he was in attendance, of course, and spoke with, with Dave Smith quite a bit about those and other issues. So all in all, we thought it was a very good hearing. We were thrilled, as we said, that the subcommittee chose dairy as its first uh, first topic for the year. It was a very well-attended hearing. I mentioned a few of the members that were there engaging with the witnesses, but almost every member on both sides of the aisle was at the subcommittee. And in, you know, in addition to Chairman Peterson coming in for the full committee, uh, Ranking Member Conaway from Texas of the full committee came in for part of the hearing as well. So I think that just speaks to the ongoing challenges in the industry that it was uh, that it was such a top priority
1: paul let's talk specifically here before we run out of time but the dairy margin coverage sign up which is scheduled to begin june 17th um is there still questions about it you think in, in producers minds are still uncertain and not are they still trying to get information uh, uh wh- what are you hearing from producers about any reluctance they would have to be signing up in the program
2: Sure. I think uh, I think as we heard from some of the witnesses at the hearing, producers are gradually becoming more and more aware of the program. We are continuing working with our member co-ops and others in the dairy industry, and frankly, folks on Capitol Hill and USDA to do as much as we can to push out information about the program, about the benefits of the new program. Obviously, as I said a minute ago, you know, touching on what those monthly margins already are is very important, but emphasizing the producers that this is a much more affordable program at higher coverage levels and frankly a much more flexible program. We've been getting initially good feedback from producers that this is something they're looking at. You know, producer meetings that a a number of us on the staff have been doing. We've been talking about this, and we've been getting good feedback. I think people naturally have questions. It's a new program. There is that skepticism about the old MPP. But I think as producers look at the details of this and talk to their bankers, we've been getting mostly positive response back that this is something they'll want to look at.
1: Yeah, having been unhappy with past programs, I guess that's probably led to some of the skepticism on the
3: new one.
2: Right, and that's something you always have to contend with when you're in that situation. So that's why it really, you know, it does behoove us to be as uh, as vocal and aggressive as we can, at least in in getting information out there and talking about the program, trying to blanket all regions of the country, frankly, because we think this is a program that's going to be beneficial to dairy farmers of all sizes. And you know, coupled with these improvements in the in the DMC, you've got you know much improved access on the risk management side, run by the RMA. You've got improved access to livestock gross margin dairy. you have the revenue protection program and so i think we've been trying to make those uh, those points well known as well but really given the the looming you know june 17th date around dmc when that program opens for sign up we are really trying to push out mm-hmm. as much information about this program as we can
1: all right paul thanks for the update thanks for having me on Take care. Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Hopefully we'll get some good news on trade deals, too, which would help the dairy industry as well. Well, what about infrastructure? Big meeting at the White House this week. We're going to talk about where that stands right now with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. That's next here on AOA.
4: Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance
1: of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at ingeniaherbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips? Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, clean water issues in this country. Let's talk about it with Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation on the clean water rule. What's the next step?
5: This rule. Which
6: we believe is more balanced. We believe that it is also legally defensible. We also believe it's going to go to the Supreme Court. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, but I hope the uncertainty is now moving back near the center where we can live and operate our farms in ways that we're not in, in danger of, of running a foul of the law. It is going to take a while. You can expect EPA to spend a lot of quality time between now and the end of this year Uh, preparing to finalize a rule that they can support. They've got to flesh out not only the the decisions they make, but why and the rationale why they made those decisions. I think that is critically important, and that's critically important in in making sure that it is legally defensible.
1: For the information important to Rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com.
7: Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612.
1: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Senex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
0: Information need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: All right, let's talk infrastructure. Joining us now is Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, uh, lost in the, in the news of the week, I think, is the story that uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer went to the White House, talked to the president, and they came out smiling. That's, a, that's an unusual event in and of itself. Uh, I would have thought that would have gotten more headlines. Of course, they came out saying that they agreed uh, to pursue a $2 trillion infrastructure bill. They just haven't figured out how they're going to pay for it yet. What, what do you make of this?
8: You know, I, it, it certainly is not time to pop the champagne, so I I, I think it's important to have your feet firmly uh, grounded on this. But, you know, when it seems like the news out of Washington, D.C., it's been an endless loop of people throwing political grenades at one another. And it it, it frankly has been kind of discouraging for those of us who actually care about issues that are important to the American people, like infrastructure is certainly one of them. It's one of many issues that are that's not being attended to by our elected officials, Democrats or Republicans. And so then when all of a sudden inserted into that, you there is actually a meeting where the president and Democratic leaders sat down at the table. There was an important issue on the table, infrastructure, and they emerged from that meeting actually more committed to this path than when they entered into the meeting. So you know, that this stuff should be routine, um, but unfortunately it isn't. Uh, that's just kind of the political reality we live in. But, so, but it, it would take note of that, that, okay, that's, that's encouraging. That's, it's good to see that kind of behavior. Our only hope is that it's not just a, a flash in the, in the pan moment of bipartisanship, that this will actually be sustained so that we can actually get something done that's important for the American people, including
1: agriculture. Yeah, time will tell on that, and uh, you, you can't help but be somewhat skeptical based on past uh, history here, uh, perf- the way the, the two sides have uh, had their differences. Um, so, what about the two trillion dollar figure? What do you make of that, and and them not yet knowing how they're going to come up with that money?
8: Yeah, I mean it's 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 obviously an aggressive number. Um, you know, it should be treated as an intention it's not an outcome. There's a big difference between the two. And without any kind of uh, real strategy or agreement on how you actually pay for it, that, that has been, and it remains the, the big obstacle to coming up with an agreement. So you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that our elected officials want to do something profound on infrastructure. $2 trillion is a lot of money to put that into context. context. The highway trust fund, which every time you fuel up your your car with fuel, the federal tax associated with that, the tax per gallon, all of that in aggregate generates about thirty-five billion dollars a year. Okay, so you compare that to two trillion dollars. So that's it's a substantial amount of money. Uh, we certainly have a lot of needs. Um, a lot of those needs are in rural areas. So, you know, I think the point is we want to do something on infrastructure. Um, we want to make sure that the needs are attended to, that we make sure that it's multimodal, not just focusing on roads and bridges. We're talking about the inland waterways, too. We're talking about ports as well. And making sure that the agricultural supply chain is included in that. It's not just focused on the urban needs. Uh, we, it also needs to include the rural needs.
1: So what do you think? You know, there's a lot of talk now. They're finally uh, talking more about the broadband and some of those other issues as part of this. Do you think it's going to be that encompassing?
8: That it really does seem to be a, a desire for that. You know, you're hearing it from both sides of the aisle that you, you're not just focusing on transportation infrastructure. There's a lot of different, you know, terminology that falls under the umbrella of infrastructure. Um, you know, obviously, utilities, energy generation that can be included as well. <clears throat> Broadband, of course, is an example. So, I mean, there it certainly is a lot of needs. We. You know, what we just continue to see is that the United States has not been an investing nation. We have been a spending nation, and that really has been a pandemic for a number of years. And so it's not an accident that you see an infrastructure in many different forms, manifestations, that's not being well-maintained. And so we need to kind of recapture that investment mentality. Our hope is that this initial first step Uh, with this meeting that happened earlier this week you know portends some of that action and some of that collaboration and it's not just a a, just kind of a fleeting moment
1: we're talking with mike Steenhook, executive director of the soy transportation coalition mike with all the infrastructure issues we already had now this spring has uh, made the situation even worse in many places
8: And and the the flooding has really um, imposed itself clearly on farm ground, um, on uh, communities that are adjacent to some of these waterways. But you know, obviously, on the infrastructure itself, uh, with you know the the Mississippi River being largely shut down, you know, north of St. Louis, restrict, heavily restricted on other segments of the Illinois River, other parts of the inland waterway system, you know. clearly with you know rail infrastructure with track washout you know the county governments are you know I, I really my heart goes out to them as well just because they are very resource constricted but yet you've got all these gravel roads these rural roads and bridges that are that really can be you know taxed when uh, when you have flooding conditions and it can really be compromised and so they're really struggling uh, you know they're challenged to, to make bricks without straw essentially they're trying to maintain this you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles of infrastructure with very limited resources. And the problem doesn't, it kind of seems to keep persisting. So uh, this is an issue that's going to be with us for for the foreseeable future, and it's something we're going
1: to be really wrestling with. kind of reminds us that we take transportation for granted in this country, but yet how vulnerable the system really is, and also how much it needs uh, those improvements that we've talked so often about.
8: And you know that you know that's and that's understandable from the public, you know I'm guilty of when I flip on a light switch, I expect the light to come on. I don't really think deeply into the infrastructure that brought that electricity to that light bulb, but that that really is incumbent upon the leaders to be thinking about that though, and so that includes infrastructure to make sure that okay, are we being forward thinking when we when we maintain this infrastructure, is it resilient so that You're going to have these kind of weather events that this infrastructure is going to have to absorb. To what extent do we have redundancy, resiliency, so that it can that it can handle it, and not, um, you know, not be totally compromised? I mean, these weather events are going to, I mean, they're going to get they're going to hit you. The question is, is it a knockout punch or is it just kind of a is it just a, a punch in the arm? And the degree to which our infrastructure is resilient and redundant, and that requires leadership that can make all the difference and so that's something that we certainly hope that moving forward that we continue to press upon having that kind of infrastructure that can withstand better withstand some of these events
1: well we will see where we go from here I mean, we've seen this yo-yo effect on infrastructure uh, in that there's interest and focus on it then it kind of fades away and it comes back and fades away and i've got a feeling the next meeting with Pelosi, Schumer, and President Trump, when they all get together and try to figure out how they're going to pay for that $2 trillion, I got a feeling that maybe there won't be as many smiles. i got a feeling we're going to hear more about the, the disagreements at that point. So that shows that there's still a long ways to go.
8: That, that's certainly possible. Uh, it, it just really is incumbent upon stakeholder groups like agriculture to really just continue to impress upon our elected officials that this is an important issue that's important to us. We cannot delay. We cannot allow political acrimony to override it. Uh, we need to insist on action. So we certainly have a role to play in this.
1: And. You know, when you get into things like raising gas taxes and things like that, it, it's gonna be controversial.
8: It it certainly is. I I think, you know, no one welcomes the prospect of sending more money to federal, state and local government. But you do see public opposition decrease when the public sees that for every ten dollars they send to the government in the form of infrastructure payments, they get ten dollars back in value in the form of better roads and bridges. When you when you have that kind of behavior uh, that kind of stewardship, the public is less resistant. What drives the public crazy is when for every $10 they send, they only get $2 of value back, and that's when you see the real opposition. So stewardship is a big issue for government to uh, be practicing.
1: All right, uh, Mike, we'll see what happens, what comes next on this one, we'll continue to watch it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, so we continue to... Talk about the need for infrastructure improvement. And we see um, high levels of our government officials talking about it and acknowledging the need. And we'll see if they can work out the details to actually get something done. Well, we're still waiting for details and see what gets done in, in trade talks, China, Japan. USMCA, Europe, all these have so much uh, impact and bearing on where we go with agriculture as we continue to wait for solutions. We'll talk about it next with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us here on AOA. Senex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
5: Whether
7: you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Senex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, To make our country safer to leave the planet we've been given just a little better biofuels and oil alternatives solutions for a brighter more sustainable world get inspired with us visit poet.com time
0: for a market check here on adam's on agriculture i'm rusty halverson from the american ag network wheat futures trending higher on this thursday morning exports of u.s wheat hit a 2018-19 marketing year low this past week according to USDA with sales down 71 percent from the previous week. Crop Scouts producing an average yield estimate of 47.6 bushels per acre on day two of the Wheat Quality Council's Hard Red Winter Wheat Tour. The effects of late planting last fall still visible to Scouts according to Wire Talk, seeing stages ranging anywhere from the jointing stage to the boot stage. In the wheat futures, we are trending higher on this Thursday. Chicago wheat an hour into the day, 8 to 10 cents higher, with new crop July at 445 and a quarter, up 9 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat July up 4 at 404. Minneapolis spring wheat asking prices 10 to 12 higher, July trading now at 523 and a half, up 11 and a quarter. In corn, fractional changes. July down a half cent at 368 and a quarter. December down a penny at 385 and a quarter. July soybeans defensive once again. We retreated to another new contract low on Wednesday. On this Thursday, an hour in, 847, down four and three quarters on that July soybean contract. Cotton market activity on a Thursday. July down 89 at 7582. Livestock at the Merck in feeder cattle. We're 30 to 55 cents lower. August down 40 at 148.82, June live cattle a dime higher at 113.97. Lean hog futures June contract up $2.25, 9347. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is up 13 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
1: All right, joined now by Colin Woodall, Vice President of Government Affairs with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, thanks for joining us. I see now they're talking about having talks with European Union next week. I know we have all these talks going on, but uh, about time to get something done. I mean, we... they. It's like a carrot dangled in front of everybody, yeah, where we might have a deal maybe in a couple weeks or next month or here is another round of talks coming, and then maybe that sets up a summit, you know, the month after that. I know it just keeps. seems like it just keeps dragging on.
5: It does keep dragging on, Mike, and the fact is we have to look at the history of trade deals and our engagement in them Probably one of the best examples is Chorus, the U.S.-South Korean free trade agreement. It took us six years from the first time they sat down to start negotiating until we ratified that in Congress. So trade deals have a history of being long and drawn out, so we're not surprised. But like you, we would love to see some of these finished, especially in regards to China, And the indication out of the White House and U.S. Trade Representative's Office is that we could see that happen uh, hopefully here within the next several weeks. There is a team over in Beijing this week. Uh, The Chinese are coming back to Washington, D.C. next week, and the fact that they are still sitting down and talking is a, a very good thing. We're seeing probably the most progress being made in the Chinese talks and the Japanese talks. You had mentioned the EU. That is still one that until they are willing to talk about agriculture, we're sending a very clear message to President Trump and Ambassador Lighthizer that we don't want them to engage because if agriculture is not a part of it, this is not going to be a trade deal that American agriculture is going to help support or help get passed.
1: On China, the talks this week over there, I understand Greg Dowd, our ag ambassador, uh, is not part of this delegation. Should we be concerned about that, or does that mean the ag part of it kind of wrapped up, or how do you view that?
5: Uh we don't view that as a negative situation at all. Uh what we have seen throughout this process is different people are going to the individual meetings depend upon what the hot topic is. And agriculture is still a big part of the Chinese negotiations, but it's not uh everything about these negotiations. There are other issues as well. So we know that those issues are being addressed this week. Next week when the Chinese come back to Washington DC, we have no doubt that Ambassador Dowd will be back at the table and the agriculture issues will be front and center again. So we, we don't see that as a negative thing. Uh it's been made very clear to us that our major issues, which is the ban on our use of implanted hormones and the ban on beta agonist growth promotants are still very much on the table. And as long as they continue to let us know about that, we're going to be happy because this is uh, probably the, the longest discussion we've ever had with the Chinese in regards to those barriers. So it makes us feel optimistic that hopefully we can take them down in some shape, form, or fashion
1: okay so as you've pointed out we need patience these things take time but it seems to me the especially the current situation with all these different trade issues at the same time seems like the longer they go it puts more pressure for the deal to be even better to make up for what you've lost during uh, all this uh, negotiating time
5: and that is a great point and it's something that all of us in agriculture have experienced some more so than others uh, but it is part of the calculation. The president has told us from the get go, especially in regards to China, that we needed to be patient and it was going to be short term pain for long term gain at least from the cattle perspective, we can support that approach because U.S. Meat Export Federation has made it clear that if we are able to take these barriers down and structure our access into China, much like what we have with Japan and South Korea, we could turn that into a $4 billion market. Uh, For us, that's that's worth sitting around and being patient and taking a bit of a short-term hit because long-term, it will definitely pay off.
1: It's hard to imagine especially with the presidential election coming up it's hard to imagine although the president has shown the willingness to do this in the past and he keeps talking about it that he might walk away from this still with china if they can't get something done i i just can't imagine the the political harm and certainly the economic harm that would come from no deal being uh, agreed upon
5: i can speak from the cattle perspective if we walk away and there is no china deal we are going to be extremely disappointed, and we have to make sure that everybody is prepared for that as an option because the president has uh, done everything that he's committed to when it comes to trade. He walked away from TPP. He said he was going to renegotiate NAFTA. He did. He said he was going to renegotiate Chorus, and he did, and he has said if it's not the right deal, he will walk away. We need to take him at face value for that, but again, we are going to be awfully disappointed if that ultimately ends up being the case.
1: We're talking with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. USMCA, we're starting to hear more voices in Congress make, that uh, are critical of it and making it sound like they might not support it. Is that, a, is that just normal for something like this as we go through the process, or are you concerned about its, uh, whether or not it will pass?
5: It is normal. We hear this with every trade deal. The opposition always comes out strong. But at the same time, those who have been supportive of USMCA are also coming out strong. This is trade month. So many of us on the pro side of USMCA are making an even deeper dive and a bigger push on Capitol Hill in order to shore up our support. And what we are finding is we have a lot of these new Democrats that were elected last year that are indicating to us that they do see value in USMCA. So even though there's a lot of pushback right now from the unions in particular, uh, it is something that we're going to have to manage. It's it's not unexpected, uh, but there is still a tremendous amount of support for getting this done. But the key, the key is just making sure that we can get to the speaker and tell her to schedule a vote. Because, believe it or not, we are running out of time You know, this Congress just started in January, but if we don't get something done here probably before the fall, it's going to be hard to get anything done because everybody's going to turn towards that 2020 election. So we have a very short timeline here to actually convince the Speaker to put this thing up for a vote. I think if she does, then it passes and we will win.
1: But if major labor unions are opposing it, can you get enough Democratic votes to pass it?
5: We have had labor unions oppose previous agreements that have ultimately passed, uh, even in Democratic-controlled Congresses. The unions do have a lot of influence, but they do not completely control the narrative when it comes to trade.
1: All right. So what are you hearing about the official steps of getting this thing actually started? I mean, when could a vote, do you think, take place on this?
5: You know, we could see a vote here this summer uh... but first we have to have the white house actually transmit the language to capitol hill and under the trade promotion authority tpa program once that happens the clock starts And that's why the president has not submitted it yet, because he wants to make sure that the skids are a little bit better greased so that way we can get this done quickly. He doesn't want to find himself in a situation where he transmits the language and then we just flat run out of time and lose our opportunity here. So it is a strategic decision by the president to wait until we see a little bit more of a willingness from the speaker to actually schedule
1: the vote. Senator Grassley and others are uh, very vocal about the president needs to lift those tariffs on Mexico and Canada. Why do you think the administration is so hesitant to do that?
5: I believe it's insurance, Mike. You know, he has got both of these countries uh, all stirred up with the steel and aluminum tariffs and also the potential threat of auto tariffs. Uh he wants to make sure that they are putting as much pressure on their governments to act as we are on ours. So I see it as an insurance policy more than anything else. And I do believe once we see some votes scheduled in all three legislative bodies, the Mexican Congress, our Congress, and the Canadian Parliament, then we could see a willingness for him to drop those steel and aluminum tariffs or revise those steel and aluminum tariffs. But again, I think he is doing it to keep everybody focused and motivated to get this thing completed.
1: We know the ag community is pushing hard to get these trade deals done. Is there enough pressure in other sectors domestically on the administration to get this thing uh, get these deals across the finish line?
5: No, oh, there is. You see groups like the US Chamber of Commerce, for example, that are pushing this. Uh, other industrial segments of our economy are pushing for this. Uh, agriculture is not alone in its support. But as we have seen historically, agriculture is the industry that can make or break getting a trade deal passed. Uh, we're proud of that fact, but it also means that we have to do as much pushing as possible to ensure that we can get all these Democrats talking to the Speaker and get this Vote schedule. That really is the key right now. We need that scheduled before the president decides to take another approach, which could mean pulling us out of NAFTA. And if that happens, that's a whole different dynamic that could have some severe negative consequences on our economy.
1: I keep thinking of timing. Uh, seems to me, I could, the political benefits of making big announcements of trade deals accomplished. The closer to the next election, the better, I would guess. I keep thinking that's playing into this. Do you think so?
5: Well, everything is playing into the uh, 2020 election right now. There's no doubt about it. There's not a single decision in Washington, D.C. that's being made that people aren't factoring in what that means for 2020 outcomes, whether that's the White House, the House of Representatives, or the Senate. So that's definitely in play, and it's something we have to be cognizant of. But... We also have to keep in mind that, believe it or not, a lot of times the voters' memory is pretty short. So if Congress can get this done here in 2019, there's going to be a whole host of other issues that pop up before we get to November 2020. So getting it done now is important.
1: All right. As always, good to talk with you, Colin. Thanks for the update. Thank you, Mike. Colin Whittall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. we to talk about... Where are we with the tax extenders package? We'll talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board next on AOA. <music> Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around
4: Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount.
1: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, well, let's take a look at the recently released Ag Census. Joining us to do that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevew.
6: I think farmers have an excellent story to tell in terms of uh, they really are the original stewards of the land. And one thing that changed from the uh, 2017 and 2012 census, and this is 2012 was the first time they asked this question, Conventional versus conservation versus no-till. Um, in 2012, conventional uh, was at the top, followed by conservation and no-till. In the 2017, um, no-till was the highest, followed by conservation, and then uh, conventional was the lowest. So you're definitely seeing uh, more farms utilize uh, environmentally friendly practices. Uh, additionally, one that was captured was cover crop. Uh, amount of acres uh, planted with cover crops increased by 50%.
1: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: Data is data is data. Unless you work with FS, then your data comes with expert insight. Tapping into a wide range of technologies through MyField, your FS crop specialist evaluates trial data from your farm, along with only the most qualified aggregated data that reveals trends in your area. With MyField, your FS crop specialist delivers the insights you need to build your ROI. Learn how results from FS nitrogen trials can be applied to your farm at fsmyfield.com. FS, bringing you what's next. People respond differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Those who spend their days tending to the land have a unique perspective on change. They see it up close every day, as one season fades into another, as a seed grows into a stalk, as a field of gold is spun out of the land, sun, and sky. Change is their livelihood. Since the beginning, Poet has shared a fundamental connection with farmers. And like farmers, we see the world differently. We are inspired by change. Climate change may be the most daunting challenge yet, but we believe it's not insurmountable. The same spirit of innovation that helped build a worldwide biofuels industry will help us tackle the environmental issues we're facing today. Together, sustainable biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Did
0: you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and week in review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa?
8: Play my flash briefing.
0: Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday.
1: Welcome to Adams on Agriculture.
0: Or you can search for the American Ag Network.
1: This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill.
0: Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device.
1: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, we take a look at the, where are we on the disaster aid work in it doesn't seem to be anything really uh new uh senate republicans did this week send democrats an offer including that extra 300 million in community development funds for puerto rico that's in addition to about 600 million in nutrition assistance for puerto rico uh so but we're still waiting to see what the response will be and will that be enough to get anything done so we're watching disaster aid uh we're also um taking a look at tax extenders will there be a tax extenders package this is especially critical for the biodiesel industry Um, yesterday there was a press uh, event to call attention to the importance of this and joining us now to talk about it is donnell rehagen the ceo of the national joining us Uh, tell us about that event yesterday uh, uh it was able to accomplish
6: well, thank you. Yeah, the the event was wonderful yesterday, and the goal for it was to, as Congress is getting settling back into this work period, which will take them through Memorial Day, uh, to try to get them to focus on the the tax extender, specifically the biodiesel tax credit. So, uh, there was a, a number of House Republicans and House Democrats and uh, Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats that attended this press conference and spoke positively about the impact the biodiesel industry is having and the impact the biodiesel tax credit has on helping that industry and in the various you know, subsections of it, from agriculture to fuel distributors to consumers. And so um, the, the goal was to kind of shine a light on the fact that this is a bicameral uh, and a bipartisan issue. In other words, everybody, everybody wants to see this happen, so let's just go ahead and push it across the finish line. It's some unfinished business. This is not new legislation this is unfinished business that just needs to be finished up.
1: what is holding it up?
6: well I think you know uh, I, I I guess I'd say just uh, good old fashioned politics you know the ideas of how is legislation going to move through uh you know through this Congress and uh, um, you know what's those mechanisms what's the legislation that actually is going to get onto the books and you know it's probably less likely that a biodiesel standalone tax credit is going to make its way to the president's desk. You know, that would likely, as it has been in the past, be part of a bigger package. So I think it's the defining uh, by the leadership in the House and leadership in the Senate, defining what that bigger legislation uh, vehicle is uh, that biodiesel can become a
1: part of. Is the hold up more on the House side? I know Senator Grassley's talking about if the House would send them a bill in the Senate extending the biodiesel tax credit that he would look forward to working with them and uh, to getting it done. So do we need to action more from the House at this point?
6: Well, we actually do. You know, uh, As you know, con- from a constitutional standpoint, revenue bills have to uh, make their way out of the House first. So although Senator Grassley has been very clear in his uh in his vision that he's happy to see a bill come his way, he also accepts the fact that that's not going to be able to originate in the Senate. So he may have his uh, his uh, constituents lined up on his side, but yes, he is uh, he's in a holding pattern waiting for the House to uh, to push some legislation to the Senate that uh, could possibly be a vehicle.
1: I thought uh, Senator Grassley, who, by the way, will be on with us uh, on Monday, I thought he made a good point. He said there's been a lot of talk about the need to promote green energy and reduce our carbon emissions. He says support of the uh, the extension of, for the tax package, he said, that it should be a no-brainer for anyone who supports green energy and American jobs. I think, that, you know, with all this talk about uh, – Uh, these issues, these environmental issues, this ought to help not to hinder uh, the biofuels industry.
6: Yeah, absolutely, and there's some large sectors of the country, regions and states, who, you know, have recognized the benefits of biodiesel from various uh, in various ways, whether it's what it does for the agricultural economy, uh, what it does and helps consumers, or whether it's uh, from an environmental and cleaner air perspective. And they have programs in place that absolutely depend on biodiesel to meet some of those goals. And so uh, he was spot on and and in typical uh, Senator Grassley fashion, just straight to the point that this is a no brainer. And I think that's what's frustrating for our industry and for some of our champions on the Hill is, you know, why is this still hanging out there when it's so obviously the right thing to do?
1: Donnell, we've talked before about how EPA granting waivers to the RFS has really hurt the biodiesel industry. Now Administrator Wheeler says he's weighing a plan to offer small refiners partial relief from RFS requirements. Uh, They seem to think that's some kind of a a potential compromise. Uh, Do you agree with that approach or not?
6: Well, what we really want to see is the EPA, you know, Uh, enforce the congressional intent behind the RFS, which is to grow those volumes, not look for ways to, uh, to, to cut back on those volumes. And especially when you look at small refinery exemptions, the way they've been handled after the fact. So after our number, after our obligation number has been set and our industry, you know, takes steps towards making sure we can meet those obligations, then halfway through the year, they pull back and say, oh, well, we were just kidding. Now it's this number. Um, and that's the that's the hard part. Again, we have enough uncertainty with the tax credit uh, that we don't need that uncertainty or can't stand that uncertainty with the RFS. And so um, we we understand the small refinery exemptions have been part of that RFS legislation from day one. So this is not something new, but it's just how does this administration want to handle that and how you know, how liberal do they want to be in handing those out. And uh, they've, there's no doubt that they've, this administration has been much more liberal about uh, granting those small refinery exemptions than previous administrations. And so we'd like to see that be kind of brought back into perspective a little bit.
1: RFS waivers, tax extenders, uh, two big issues for the biodiesel industry. Thanks for the update, Donnell. Good to talk with you again. Thank you, Mike. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk with the CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers, and we'll get the results of the wheat tour. We're also going to take a look at the, the markets, how they're reacting to this trade news, as well as the weather news. So all that coming up on tomorrow's program. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.